Amen. Thank you for leading us in worship. Good morning. It is good to see everybody. As Pastor James mentioned, I'm Pastor Eric. If you're new here, I'm the children's pastor. It is my joy and privilege to be preaching as we continue our journey through the book of Jonah. Uh, it has been exciting. I've enjoyed um, going through this book together as a church family. I hope you've been gleaning a lot, growing and learning and changing uh, through, this, uh, through this book, through this story. And uh, I just wanted to start off by asking, what do you think of when you hear of second chances? When you think of second chances, what, what comes to mind? What do you think about? I think a lot of times, uh, most of us here like the idea of second chances. Uh, in fact, most of us love the story, going to a movie or reading a book about a person who's, who's down on their luck and they get a second chance and, and they end up finding success in the end. And you're like, yes, you root for them. You're like, yes, I love it. I mean, Hallmark makes millions of dollars off of second chances, right? You know, the, the old city boy or the city girl, they move back to the small town and they get a second chance for the true love of their life. We all know it's coming, but we can't resist it, right? And so Hallmark continues to uh, make money. And so we, we all love the idea and the thought of second chances. And perhaps you have a personal experience of a second chance that you receive, that you are appreciative of, that you are thankful for. And yet at the same time, I think what we're going to see this morning is that if we dig a little deeper, sometimes we aren't as enthusiastic about all the second chances that we get. For example, growing up, I had a lot of second chances. My parents were very loving, and they always gave me second chances. If I didn't take the garbage out correct, guess what? I got a second chance to do that. If I didn't sweep the kitchen floor correctly, guess what? My parents loved me enough to give me a second chance. If I was snarky to my brothers or I said a rude comment, you know, sometimes my parents would love me enough to say, would you like to try that again, Eric? Now, in those circumstances, second chances weren't exactly what I was looking for. In fact, the second chances there were more things that I would have rather avoided. And if asked, would you like the second chance to sweep the floor, to empty the garbage, to say something kind to your brother, I honestly probably would have said no. You see, the truth is, we don't always want second chances. Because sometimes second chances require things of us that we just don't want to give. And so this morning, we're going to take some time and we are going to look at how we should respond when given a second chance. So if you have your Bibles, open to Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 10, and you can follow along as I read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, 
Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? May God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Will you join me as we pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time together? Father, We have come to you this morning and we have sung songs of praise. We have sung of your mercy, of your grace that you've lavished upon us. And we know that we are here this morning not because of our efforts, not because of our greatness or of our goodness, but we are here to worship you because you are king. You are the Lord of our lives. You are the one who has graciously gifted us and given us new life in Christ. And so we worship you. And now, Lord, we come and, and we open your word and we're asking that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, through our minds. Teach us this morning. Allow us to understand more of who you are and how we might respond to that and how our lives can change so that we can be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you will work in that way among us this morning together. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are, chapter 3. little brief review for anyone who might be joining us a, a, a little bit late. Um, we have, we, we've been going through the chapters, and, and as we opened up the book of Jonah, one thing that we learned is that Jon- the book of Jonah is not just about a fish. Right. In fact, I got some great pictures afterwards, after that sermon of people who were inside of large statues of fish saying, it's not about the fish. All right. And if there's one thing that we can remember, it's that the book of Jonah is not about a fish. Rather, it is about God's mercy, the mercy of God. Pastor uh, Nick went through chapter, the rest of chapter one to uh, answer uh, and ask the question, how do we respond to God's wrath? And we acknowledge him and we fear him. And last week, Pastor James looked at chapter 2, Jonah's prayer, and he asked, how do we respond in distressing circumstances? And James, I'm, I don't know where he is, but I'm, I'm glad to tell you that God is giving you an opportunity this morning uh, 
to answer that question. How did you respond in distressing circumstances? Um, but here we are in chapter 3. And the question that we are going to ask this morning is how should we respond to second chances? How should we respond when God gives us second chances? And so that's where we are. And Pastor James left off at the end of Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, verse 9. And so we're actually picking up in chapter 2, verse 10. I don't want to spend too much time, but in verse, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so we have at the end of chapter 2, end scene, a new scene takes place. Jonah is no longer at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. He's no longer in the water, but rather he is up on dry land. And so the picture is different. The scenery is different. We are no longer in the tumultuous, uh, crashing waves of a storm, of circumstances, of life. But we are on steady ground now. As if to say, we are ready for a fresh start. We're going to try this again. And as we were reading in chapter 3, you might have noticed, wow, this sounds really familiar. And it should sound familiar because it sounds a lot like uh, chapter 1 when the word of the Lord came to Jonah. There's a lot of um, similarity, actually, between chapters 1 and chapters 3 of Jonah. If you were to put them side by side, you see three things that are very similar. We're going to see that God gives a call to Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh. We see the response of pagans, of Gentiles, who respond correctly to God's call. And then we also see God extending mercy. In all, in chapter 3 and chapter 1, they're both very similar in that. And we're contrasting, again, the reaction of Jonah and the response of the pagan. The one who we would expect to respond positively, well, maybe they don't. And the ones who you would expect failure from actually respond well. And so there's these similarities that help us to compare and contrast what is happening here. And so Jonah starts, it starts off, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And up to that point, everything is the same. But this time, God says, call out against it the message that I tell you. So in chapter one, where he said, uh, call out against it for their evil has come before their name. Now God is saying, call out to it the message that I give to you. In this second chance, there are some restrictions. There are some boundaries placed. And God is saying, you need to be very specific in what you say. You've got to deliver this message. And so Jonah then goes forward. And we find what he does with his second chance. And so in verses uh, 4 through 10, we're going to see two second chances that are given with two different responses. So we're going to look at two second chances that are given, and we're going to see two different responses. So Jonah hears from the Lord 
And what does it say? It says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. All right, well, this is good, right? Because last time in verse chapter 1, Jonah arose and he went the opposite way to Joppa. Right? At least this time, Jonah is getting up and he's going in the right direction. However, what's lacking here, what we don't hear, is Jonah's response to God. We don't hear him saying and acknowledging, yes, Lord, I will do that. We simply hear him getting up and going towards Nineveh. So what's his attitude What's really happening? All of a sudden, we're wondering, okay, is he's going in the right direction, but is his heart in it? Well, let's keep reading and let's find out. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now we find out, again, Nineveh was exceedingly a great city. And some translations will, will say a great city to God. Nineveh, even though a wicked city a city filled with many people doing wicked deeds, was still great in God's eyes. God still loved these people and wanted to see a change in these people. And so Jonah goes to this great city, a city that God has not forgotten. And then we see that the city is great, not only to God, but also in, in, in its size. Three days' journey in breadth. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled over, well, what does this mean? Because three days' journey, some, if, you, if you do the math, how far could somebody walk in one day and you multiply that by three? Was this city really 70 miles long? And so a lot of people question like, the, the accuracy to this. But some comment, uh, a lot of commentators point out, rightly I believe, that what this is actually referring to is that the three-day journey could refer to the time required to properly appeal to the people of Nineveh, for them to hear it. One, one commentator says, and he explains, the narrator's point is that Nineveh was a three-day visit city, a major diplomatic center of the ancient world, a city where a formal protocol was observed by official visitors. Perhaps think of it this way. I went to school for a few years in Chicago, downtown Chicago, the right Moody Institute. Uh, Pastor Nick, he went to a different Moody, so we, we go back and forth on that one. <clears throat> in Chicago, though, it was an exciting city. I loved it. There was so much to do. And, and you know, I would always just go on, on long walks, and I loved it when people would come visit. And I would always say, oh, you got to go check out the Bean. You got to go to this park. You got to check out the zoo. And so I had this long list. And so after I left Chicago and I would find out that somebody was going to go visit Chicago, they'd come to me. I'd be like, all right, I've got a list for you. And I'd write it down. And they'd be like, oh, well, I've just got a one-hour layover at the airport. I'm like, well, you could have started off with that, right? Okay, just go to the airport, get some pizza, and say you had Chicago pizza. That's all you got to do, right? But, you know, they say, I spent like three hours in Chicago, and, and I hear that, and my heart breaks. Why? Because Chicago is not a three-hour city, right? Chicago is a city where you need like two or three days to just like walk around and explore and immerse yourself in it. Three hours isn't going to cut it. One day in Chicago isn't going to cut it, right? You need three days to experience the whole thing. If someone says, I was in Chicago for three hours, and I'm like, you weren't in Chicago then, okay? All right? And then I ask if they brought me back any deep dish pizza. And so the idea here, though, 
of the city of Nineveh being three days' breadth is, is the idea that it would have taken three days for Jonah to properly deliver the message that God wanted him to deliver to the people and to the leaders of Nineveh. There would have been protocol for him to, to be able to speak to the higher officials. And this whole process should have taken him three days to preach to the city. So this is significant. Why? Well, because now we get a glimpse into Jonah's response to his second chance. Because it says in verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So as we look at the responses, the first response of Jonah is a half-hearted response to a second chance. Why? Well, two things. First, he only went in for one day's journey, right? He, only, he, didn't, he didn't go in the whole time. He didn't take the, the time required that was sufficient that he should have taken to properly present the message that God wanted him to present to the Ninevites. And so he takes one day journey in. And so that clues us in that, okay, maybe he's not, maybe he's not into this fully. But then the message that he gives, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. The Hebrew, five words. Five words. Now, realistically, it is very likely that he actually spoke more than five words in delivering a message. But the author is communicating here that there was not a lot of thought of, of intentionality given in this proclamation of the message. It was short and half-hearted. And so Jonah, given a second chance, responds half-heartedly, which is very tragic. Because a half-hearted response can often be hurtful. When there's a half-hearted response to a second chance, usually many parties are hurt by that. As a parent, one thing that we are constantly trying to teach in our home is forgiveness. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to trying to help children learn how to forgive, right? And, and an offense is made, something happens, and you say, you, th that action was wrong, you need to ask for forgiveness. And then what do the kids do? Sorry. Let's try that again. And it repeats itself, right? But what happens every time that second chance is given, what's, what is happening to the person listening to that? Is it getting better? No, it's actually getting worse. That person hears it and they say, not only are you not sorry, you're just making me more upset. And so when we give a half-hearted response to a second chance, we're actually not hurting ourselves, but we are also hurting those other people that we are responding to. But the tragedy in this is that the very thing that God extended to Jonah, that he wanted to teach 
him, Jonah missed it. Leading up to this point, God said, I get it, Jonah. You don't want to extend mercy to a wicked people. Well, I'm going to extend mercy to you so that you can better appreciate it. And yet Jonah missed it. It's a tragedy. Jonah missed a big opportunity to grow and to shine. And we're going to unpack that next week. But because of his half-hearted response, what follows, what we're going to read, what we're going to see in the rest of the chapter, happens despite him, not because of him. And I want to make sure that that's clear. The rest of what we see in the response of Nineveh happens despite Jonah, not because of him. From this point on, Jonah simply fades back into the shadows. Because of his half-hearted response, he just he says five words and nothing else is mentioned of him for the rest of this chapter as we see what God does among the people of Nineveh. So Jonah's response was half-hearted. It caused more harm than anything to himself. But now, in verse 5, we get to look at Nineveh's response. How do they respond to a second chance? And we see they do three things. Three things that I think would be helpful for us to, to do when we are given a second chance by God. The first is found in verse, in verse 5. It says, And the people of Nineveh, they believed God. They trusted God. They heard the word. They heard the message. And they accepted it. And that's the first thing. They accepted the second chance. That is something that we have to recognize as people. Is that sometimes second chances are offered. But we have to accept that. We have to respond to it and say, yes, I need this second chance. Immediately, they believed God's message and they trusted God. They didn't debate or they didn't argue. But too often, we, we debate the terms. We try to save face or we deny that we even need a second chance. Have you ever done that? You try to turn it so like, well, you know, I, I, got, I have to turn the situation around so that I don't look like the guilty. I don't look like the bad person here. I need to save my face somehow so that I'm not embarrassed when I try to do this again, when I try to justif uh, rectify what had happened. Too often, we debate the terms. We try to save face or we deny that we even need a second chance. They didn't try to justify their position. They didn't make excuses. They didn't say, well, Jonah, we understand what you're saying, that, that we're a wicked nation, that God is going to judge us, but it's just, it's in our DNA. I mean, it's not our fault. Like, look at the culture around us. Look at what our king has done. We can't make these changes. The people didn't make excuses. They heard God speak, and they accepted the opportunity for a second chance. And secondly, you see that in verse 9 when it says, when the king is speaking, and he says, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They weren't putting stipulations on, on the deal. They were simply recognizing and accepting that God was giving them a second chance, and they wanted to take that. Then, 
after they accepted it, we see that they were humbled. They were humbled by the second chance. In verses 5 through 8, it says, Immediately they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And eventually the word reached the king, and he sent out this proclamation. And the king said, listen, everyone in this city isn't going to eat. We're going to fast. Everyone is going to put on sackcloth. Everyone is going to mourn. Everyone is going to humble themselves and repent together. And this is very unique. Because typically, it would start what we see in verse 6, where the king sent out this proclamation, and then people would follow the king's order and say, well, because the king said this, we'll do this. And that would have been a half-hearted response. But what we see is that the people heard, and the people all responded at once, from the greatest to the least. And then, after the people responded, word eventually got to the king. And again, this is where we see Jonah was, um, was, was half-hearted in his attempt because word got to the king, not from Jonah, but from the word of the mouths from the other people in the city. And, and the, word, the king heard of what was happening, and then he went to, pro- to make a proclamation that the whole city would fast and be dressed in sackcloth. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourselves, Even the animals in sackcloth, like what's up with that? It's kind of absurd. And this is where I'm sad that we don't have um, the, the, the images behind us because I had pictures to show that it's not that absurd. I would encourage you to go on a walk today throughout the city of Edmonds and look at how many dogs are wearing clothes. Look at how many cats are being walked with clothes. It's out there, I promise you. Not that absurd. But I joke about that. But the reality is, the truth is, the fact that even the cattle and the livestock are, have sackcloth on them shows the severity of the situation. It shows how far and how serious the people are in humbling themselves before God to repent. The second thing that they did in their response to their second chance was that they humbled themselves before God. And we see the severity of the situation. And finally, the third thing, probably the most important thing, was that they made necessary changes. They made necessary changes. So they were told that because of their wickedness, they were going to be judged. The king made a proclamation, and in that, he said, let uh, everyone turn from their evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. And so what we see is probably the hardest part of being given a second chance, and that is making the necessary changes. You see, God wasn't interested in the sackcloth, in the ashes, in the fasting. Rather, he was interested and concerned in their changed actions that showed the truth of where their hearts really were. That's what it says in verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. I... um, I don't know about you, but I also, another experience of receiving second chances, I'm sure some of you out there uh, might have received growing up in school. And uh, did you ever get a second chance 
on a test or a homework assignment. Anyone ever do that? If you're not raising your hand, you were a straight A student. I don't care. Okay. <clears throat> I, I remember um, I was feeling pretty good in my freshman year of college when I was taking my college writing and research uh, class. And Miss Brown, I loved Miss Brown. She was hilarious. She made, she made English and grammar fun, funner, right? And uh, it, was, it was wonderful. And we had our final project that was due. And I, you know, we're, I'm like working hard and, and I'm, you know, doing all my research and I write this paper and I bring it up and I'm like really excited to hand it in. It was like 20 pages. It was thick. It was, it was like, it was, it was good. And then I get it back. And I should mention, this is, this is um, before I started having my wife proofread my papers. <clears throat> A Malone strength is not grammar. I had so much read on this paper that you could barely read what was written initially. And she gave it back, and this was a big chunk of my grade. And she said, why don't you have a second chance and make some changes? Now, how absurd would it have been if I said, oh, thank you, I accept this second chance, and I realize that I'm just a student, and you're a teacher. So thank you for giving me this second chance. And then I take that home, and I sit on it for a week, and I give it back with no changes. How ridiculous would that have been? That was not the point of a second chance, right? The second chance was so that I could make the changes and learn from that and grow from that. And so I appreciated the fact that I had the second chance, but to, to fully take advantage of it, I needed to make changes. And so oftentimes in our lives, when we're given second chances, we resist because the reality is, if I'm going to do this again, something about me is going to have to change. If I'm given a second chance, my attitude towards this person is going to have to change. My character is going to have to change. If I'm given a second chance, some habits of mine might have to change. We've often heard, um, <clears throat> heard the quote that to repeat the same actions and expect different results is insanity. And so when we're given second chances, whether it's in relationships, whether it's at tasks or jobs that we do, one of the most challenging parts about that is recognizing that we need to make necessary changes and that God is giving us an opportunity to make that right, to make that change. But this is probably the most difficult aspect of having a second chance when we recognize the changes that it requires. But the great news is that when we look at the response of Nineveh, a great and wicked nation, when, they, when we see their response, that they accept the second chance, that they humble themselves, and that they make changes, we see that God responds to Nineveh's repentance. And he responds and mercy. In fact, of everything that we saw in chapter 3, what ought to stick out to us isn't Jonah's response. We kind of expected that. It's not even Nineveh's response. It's the miracle of the mercy 
that God extends to a great nation that is so wicked. It, bog, it, it ought to boggle your mind. If you're like, oh, that's cool, then you're not understanding the depth of the wickedness of this nation, the pain and the torment that they cause thousands, millions of other people, the devastation that they brought across so many lands around them. You're not understanding all the wickedness that had happened in Nineveh, and God forgave them, and he relented from his wrath on them. God extended mercy to these people. That is what is amazing. That is what should stand out. That is what should cause us to drop it and say, how can that happen? It happened because they responded appropriately to God's second chance. God is a God of mercy. We sang about it this morning as we, as we opened in worship of how merciful he is. God offers second chances and shows mercy when we, when we can respond the right way. So how do we respond when we have second chances given to us? We humbly accept what God gives us when God gives us a second chance and we make the necessary changes. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? How does it apply to us today? Well, first off, we need to pause and we need to recognize that as believers— as Christ followers, we ought to be the ones to understand how to respond to second chances because we have been given the greatest second chance. We have been given new life, salvation from our sins. We know what it's like to walk in wickedness. We ought to understand that, that we didn't deserve God's goodness, that we didn't deserve God's grace, but that rather he gifted it to us. We ought to understand that our salvation is from God's mercy in the first place. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And so we ought to understand what it means to be humble, that we can't elevate ourselves and look above others, look above the rest of the world and say, guys, get it together. Come on, just act like us, right? Because the truth of the matter is, a world full of me's would be a scary place for many reasons. But we ought to understand, first and foremost, what it means to have second chances and to respond appropriately, to accept it, to respond humbly, and to desire to make changes. But what happens when we don't respond? What happens when we don't respond the right way to second chances? Well, when we choose to respond half-heartedly, we lose, just like Jonah, who sat in the shadows. God continues to work, but we don't get to play a role in what happens. Perhaps more tragically, we struggle for nothing. We struggle and we don't change. We struggle and then we struggle again because we can't learn. We struggle for nothing. And what's important is all these aspects from accepting the, the second chance to humbly ex receiving it, everything goes, and, and making the necessary changes, everything goes together. If we make the changes, but we don't really accept God's 
terms, we become manipulative. When we don't show humility, we become arrogant and we don't grow from the circumstances. And while, as we said, if we say we accept a second chance but don't make the necessary changes, we repeat the same actions and expect different results, which is insanity. So it's sad for ourselves when we don't respond the right way to second chances. But what happens when we do? What happens when we respond correctly when God gives us those chances? Well, God hears us. God provides mercy. He gives mercy in our lives when we are humble and when we make those changes. So I come here at the end of this morning asking, are there second chances that God has brought before you that perhaps you don't really want to take them? You'd, you'd rather let them be? Kind of like that child who is told, you need to apologize. Here's a second chance. But we don't really want to confront that relationship. We don't really want to go to that person. Are there any second chances that God is putting before you saying, you need to accept a second chance. You need to walk towards it. You need to make the necessary changes. But you're just not ready and willing to do that. Are there chance, second chances that you need to accept today? How, how will you respond? Not if, but when that time comes. Let's respond humbly. Let's accept it. And let's make the necessary changes that God asks of us. Will you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Father, we, we come before you. We look at the story of Jonah. And Lord, we see ourselves in this story. We see how we can often be the ones who don't want to change. We don't want to extend mercy to those around us. And yet, God, you are working miracles every day around us. You are extending mercy and grace to those people around us. And Lord, you want to use us as your vessels, as your people, as your children, to bring that mercy, to bring that grace, to extend that grace to others. And yet we close ourselves off to that because we don't want to respond the right way. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to make the changes that you're asking us to make. And in the end, Father, it maims us. It hurts us. And so I'm asking, Lord, praying that your Holy Spirit will touch the hearts of each person here today. Reveal to anybody here who needs to accept a second chance that you are putting before them. Allow them to take that first step of receiving it, of acknowledging that it comes from you. Give them the courage and the strength to humble themselves. Father, may we be partners with you in extending your mercy and grace to the world of, around us. May we remember that you care, that you love for everyone, and that you want us to be conduits of that. 
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.